Hey, this is Jared Wellman. I'm the lead pastor at Tate Springs, and this is our podcast. God is telling a story of hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. Redemption that can only be found through Jesus Christ. I hope that this is a blessing and inspires you to discover your part in God's story. So if you want to go ahead and take your copy of God's Word with me and turn to the book of Romans chapter 8, we are now getting into some of the most beautiful and deepest and richest theology that you can find about God and what he does in your life, uh, in the real world, as we walk through difficult circumstances in Romans chapter 8. And, uh, and a lot of this, we're, we're going to extend to uh, 2024. And, uh, and so starting in Romans 9, Paul even gets into the tension of one of the more complex theological questions, which is the relationship between sovereign God and, uh, and a man that makes meaningful choices. And how do those two things flesh together? And so we're, we're starting, uh, we started Romans 8 last week. We're going to continue in it this week. And we are talking today about what does it mean to live as sons and daughters of God? What does it mean to live as sons and daughters of God? Some years ago, there there was a young woman, a young lady named Sarah, Sarah Culberson, who was adopted and raised in an ordinary town in West Virginia. And this is a picture of her uh, with her dad, Jim. And she grew up there and uh, just an ordinary American life, had the challenges that most Americans had, had the the celebrations that most Americans may have. But there was a yearning in Sarah as she grew up there in Virginia about her biological mom and dad. She wanted to know where she came from. So she, she started on this journey. And in this quest, she began to discover that she was part of a real life fairy tale. And she discovered that she was a princess of Sierra Leone, a a country in Western Africa. And uh, she started to find out that she actually was the daughter of a king, the daughter of a chief there. And this is who Sarah is now. Let me show you a picture of, uh, of her all grown up. And as she discovered this, that she discovered she was a princess of this, of this country, uh, that changed the trajectory of her life. And she started to think about her life in a whole different way once she knew that she was the daughter of a king. And uh, and so she she started to be concerned about education in Sierra Leone. She started to think about uh, hunger in Sierra Leone. She started to advocate for all these different needs there in that country. And it all happened once she knew who she was, who her father was. And her story of an unexpected inheritance reminds us, I think, of a spiritual truth that we often overlook, which is this that just as Sarah's life was transformed by the discovery of her royal lineage, our lives take on a whole new meaning when we realize that our identity is a child of God through faith by God's grace. It's a discovery that brings not just status, but a responsibility for us for how we live our lives. It's a call to live out the values of our king and to serve his kingdom with our lives. And so today today we're gonna talk about that. Here's today's sermon in a sentence. It's this, in God's family, we're not merely sculpted from soil. You see, you're not merely this dust of the earth that's just kind of been sculpted together and then you just kind of live and you just kind of exist. Your life is more than that. 
because you are a son and a daughter of the king. And because of that, you get to step into a story that is far greater than anything you could experience. So in God's family, we're not merely sculpted from soil. We're sons and daughters stepping into a story far greater than ourselves. So I want you to imagine with me for just a minute as we dig into Romans chapter eight, what would your life look like if you embrace your call as a son of God? What would your life look like if you embraced your call as a daughter of God? How would that change the trajectory of your life? How would that impact your daily mood, your, your attitude, your family, your decisions, your entire being? What would happen if you began to understand and comprehend what it meant that you are a child of the king? So let's unpack this and, and see what it means to be a son and a daughter of God. Here's the first thing that we see. It has to do with your identity. Paul says, our identity isn't found in labels the world gives, but in the reality that we are sons and daughters of God. So we're talking about your identity this morning, which is a buzzword in today's cultural climate. Apart from scripture, if you were here last week, you remember we talked about the biblical lens, the glasses through which we see the world. And so as Christians, God has given us corrective lenses and we're able to see things the way that, that God intended them to be seen. And so whenever we're wearing those spectacles, when we're, we are wearing those lenses, we begin to perceive ourselves as something more than cosmic accidents. Now listen, there is a, there's a movement today of spirituality, which is that people may not be religious, but they'll say, well, I'm spiritual. And so they'll participate in a bunch of spiritual things, but if the, the lenses you're wearing are merely spiritual and not biblical, then what that means is you may see yourself maybe not as a cosmic accident, but really what you're gonna see is yourself as some kind of, uh, of individual that is alienated from whatever kind of deity there, there is out there, or maybe you're going to feel like you're kind of some kind of orphan in this world spiritually. But that's not what a biblical lens gives us. What the word of God gives us is this, in, in verses 14 and 16, Paul's revelation of being God's cherished children and heirs brings about this seismic shift in how we see ourselves in this world. Look with me at verse 14, Paul says this, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. Look at that word led. That word led has the idea of an ongoing and continuous action an ongoing and continuous action. You say, well, what does that mean? Why is that important? It, it, means, it, it means that the idea is, is that it's not about what we can do for God. It, it signifies that our status as God's children isn't based on our actions or on our decisions, but rather on the Spirit's work within us. So it's not about self-achievement, it's about divine appointment. And so we are identified as sons and we are identified as daughters. And it means that we step into a relational intimacy and authority that comes with being part of God's family. And it goes beyond more, mere labels and it's a lived experience. And it means it's what God has done for us. And so you don't wake up and say, well, I can only be a son of God today or I can only be a daughter of God today so long as I do X, Y, and Z and I check these things off of this list. No, it's, it's the, that the spirit of God indwells us and he has given us that identity. In fact, look with me at verse 16. Paul says this, he says that the spirit testifies, that the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that what? that we are children of God. Now remember, I'm talking to Christians at this point because Paul's talking to Christians. And, and so it's like a, the image here of a witness is, is a, that the spirit testifies as the image of a witness in a courtroom. And so you're standing there condemned and, and someone's giving you an identity and, and maybe you're, you've been 
uh, condemned to jail, but no, there's this witness here that's going to confirm the truth about your life. And this truth about your life is that you are a child of God. Why is this important? Well, imagine with me a young person growing up in today's world. I've been told lately by some friends that I've not been giving enough Lord of the Rings references, so I'm gonna give you the one earlier and a second one right now. Let's just call this young person Bilbo for just a minute. So Bilbo is being reared in this chaotic, crazy world. And Bilbo, he's, uh, he's being raised in this fast-paced society, and from the moment he wakes up to the moment that he goes to bed, he is bombarded with messages that are telling him his identity. He's being told who he should be, how he can define himself, social media profiles, he's filling all these out. Maybe he's, he's come of age and he's, he's thinking, well, I wanna sign up for Instagram and Facebook and X and, and TikTok and all these things. And he has to keep putting on these, these little blurs about who he is and, and he's listening to these social media profiles tell him how to define himself in 150 characters or less. So he's trying to de- decide how to define himself. Dating apps are asking him to label his identity. His college application is asking him to, to fill out these different uh, identifications. And Bilbo, he begins to feel pressure. He begins to feel pressure to conform to certain definitions, to find his place on this spectrum of society's expectations. And it seems like the world is telling Bilbo, your identity is your choice, your creation, your self-expression. This is a picture of the identity crisis that many people are facing today. In a world that says you are what you feel or, or you are your desires, the spirit of God is testifying within the child of God that you are a son of God and that you are a daughter of God. Here's the truth. It's a truth that stands against the shifting stands of culture that our identity is not a construct or it is not a social media profile. Your identity through faith by God's grace is a son or daughter of God. This world wants to tell us all these different things that we are, but what we're seeing here is that that the Spirit testifies that by grace, through faith, we are a, a child of God. So when we turn to the scriptures, what we see here is this, a different kind of identity, an identity that is not subject to change because the Spirit of God is permanently indwelling you. And so you don't have to worry about what the world is telling you, you only have to worry about what God thinks and says of you. So we're first talking about our identity. The second thing that Paul tells us here is this, is that in the family of God, intimacy is not a far off dream, it's your birthright. We're talking about intimacy with the creator, the one whom we can know personally. So look with me at verse 15. As Paul continues, he says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. And so Paul gives us this wonderful picture here. One that goes from fear of God to intimacy with God. Now, this is another difference that that comes about whenever you are viewing the world in the right way. Because when we don't see the world in the right way, and let's just say we're spiritual, then God is this scary man upstairs. He's this guy who gets mad at us, who gets angry with us, and we don't really know why. He's just going to burst out at us. And, and no one wants to live around someone who's acting like that. But Paul's telling us that's not the way that God is. That's not the character of our father in heaven. Our, our father is someone who is not someone who wants us to be afraid of him. He's someone who wants to welcome us and to sit on his lap and to give us a hug and to receive us. Look at this phrase here in this verse, in verse 15, spirit of adoption. That phrase, spirit of adoption, 
means that you are as close as a child. Your bond is as close as if you are related by blood. That's what he means here. This word is intentional by Paul because he wants these followers of Jesus to understand that although they have been grafted in, they've been adopted into the family of God, in a Roman culture, the word adoption isn't just someone who has been brought into a new family, it's someone that is viewed as if they have been naturally born into it. That's what the word adoption means here. So in fact, the adopted person would usually take on the, the name of the, the father and he would gain Roman citizenship if he didn't have it. And what's more, the adopted individual is also released from any debts or any obligations associated with the previous family. In other words, in a sense, they were given a new start. This signifies the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you as his son or with you as his daughter. You know, I love whenever I hear uh, adoptive parents and, and they get this question. I hear adoptive parents talk about this all the time. They'll say, people will come up and they'll learn about their children. They'll learn, well, this child is biological and these children are adopted. And, and then someone will inevitably say, well, how many of your own do you have? And the adoptive parents will say, I don't understand the question. They're all our own because they don't view a difference between a biological and, a, and an adopted kid. They see them all as the same. That's a powerful metaphor. It's a powerful metaphor. It's as if these children who were grafted into the family were naturally born into it. And the way that the parent sees these children is no different. And that's the way that God sees us. And guess what? Every single one of you through faith, by grace, have been adopted into the family of God and you are not a second class son or daughter. This is the message of the phrase, Abba, Father. What a beautiful phrase. You don't, you don't say Abba, Father, to someone that you're afraid of. You don't, you don't say Father, Abba, to someone that's yelling at you. Abba, Father is a picture of, of a child who runs in to his or her daddy's arms, and the dad receives that child with a warm embrace, with a hug. There's an intimacy there that Paul is painting. The third and final thing that we see when, it, when Paul talks about what it means to be a son and daughter of God is this, by God's grace, being a child of God is about more than a title. It includes an inheritance where God's promises are not just heard, but held. So we talked about identity. We talked uh, now, we're talking now about inheritance. And so look with me there at verse 17. He uses this word three times, the word heir. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now he also says, if indeed we suffer with him, we're gonna wait to plug that in and attach that to the next part of Romans 8. But what I want you to focus on now is when he says at the very end, we may also be glorified with him. So he says, heir, 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 heir three times. What does he mean there? Well, to be in, in line, the word heir means to be in line to receive something of value. It means that you have something waiting for you, a blessing to be that's waiting for you, some kind of legal right. In a Roman context, we talked about how adoption was this thing that brought you into the family and the implications for that. But what we didn't talk about is how this especially relates to the idea of an inheritance. And so an adopted child in the Roman context was due an inheritance just as much as a biological child was. 
And so understanding this background that Paul uses helps to illustrate the spiritual truth that believers are not just forgiven, but we are fully integrated into the family of God. We are not second or third class citizens. There's this old preacher story that you may have heard before of a, uh, of a golfer. He was a really good golfer. And, uh, and so he was so good that there was this uh, king from Saudi Arabia who invited the golfer to come and golf with him. So he put him on a private jet and he flew him out to his country and they had this great day of golf. And at the end of the day, the king looked at this golfer and he says, I had such a great time today. Thank you for coming out. I would really love to just thank you for your time. And the golfer says, you've already done enough. You've brought me out here. We had a good time. You flew me out here. And he says, no, I must give you a gift. He said, well, if you insist, I love golf clubs. And so the king put him on a plane, sent him back. And as the golfer was on the way home on this plane, he started to think about what kind of golf clubs this king might give him. He wondered, are they gonna be gold-plated or, or is the wedge gonna have some diamond studs in them? And so he gets home and he waits anxiously for days. And then the days turn into weeks and he's waiting for this big package to come from UPS. And he doesn't get a big package. He gets a knock on the door with a certified letter. He opens it up and the king has given him a golf club a whole 500 acre golf club. And so he looks at it and he thinks, wow, that was more than I, uh, I bargained for. And the moral of the story is be good at golf and meet an Arabian king. No, the, the moral of the story is this, that a king, a king has the ability to give great gifts. But here's the deeper moral of the story, that a king who happens to be your dad has a really great inheritance for you. That's what Paul means here. This is what he, he's talking about here when he's talking about how we are heirs of God. So what are we inheriting? Well, this is what he says here at the end of the verse, that we may also be glorified with him, that we may be glorified with him. This is the glory that is to be revealed. I want you to look with me at verse 30 of Romans 8. We're gonna give you a little bit of a preview of one of the more uh, doctrinally and theologically powerful points in all of God's word. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And the, this is called the golden chain of salvation, by the way. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he what? He glorified. So glorification is the end of the process. It's the thing that is in store for those who, it's the inheritance, in other words, for those who happen to be the sons and daughters of the king. This is the inheritance, but then we say, okay, Jared, but what, is, what does it mean to be glorified? Thank you for asking. Glorification means that believers are destined to share in the glory that Christ himself possesses. It's the final step in the believer's journey. And in this sense, it refers to the future resurrection of believers where we, if you can believe it, that we will be able to one day have the same kind of resurrected glorified state body that Jesus himself has. Now think about that for a minute. Think about what Jesus, after he rose from the dead and how people saw him and the things he was able to, to do in the glor glorified state that he inhabited. And, and, and the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that that is what glorification is for you and me. And, and there's a physical reality of it, but guess what? There's also the spiritual reality of it, which means that you are impervious to sin and death. So right now, Saw the other day, J.R.R. Tolkien, reference number three for those of you who are asking. He was talking about how all stories, how all stories really uh, revolve around the idea of death. 
when you think about it, they do. Death is always there. And why? Because death is what's on the horizon for all of us too. Some of us think about it more than others. It's just there like this grim reaper haunting us and waiting to take its prize. The inheritance that you have as a son and daughter of God is this, that there is a future for you where you not only have to never worry about sin, but you don't have to worry about death. It's eternal life. That's the inheritance. This is the inheritance that's waiting for us. You know, it's fitting for us to talk about adoption during this season as the Christmas trees are up and the lights and, and the mangers. This, this season that we call Christmas is the story about a little baby that was adopted into a family, Jesus. And when you look back at the very beginning of the story that all stories imitate, the story, you have the story of a king, the story of King David. Second Samuel 7, God gives David a promise. He says, David, your kingship will endure forever. Nothing will ever dethrone you and your family. In 1 Kings chapter 1, David has these sons. He has Solomon. He has Nathan. He picks Solomon to be his successor. And so Solomon and Solomon's sons and their sons and so on and so forth are the ones who will sit on this enduring throne. But there's a problem, right? There's always a problem in a story. The problem is that because of Solomon's uh, son's disobedience and unfaithfulness, that there was a curse placed on Solomon's lineage in Jeremiah twenty-two thirty, a curse that they would never be able to reign. So now you have a contradiction. You have the fact that God has promised, and when God makes a promise, there's nothing that can take it away. And then at the same time, you have a curse from God. So how is God going to resolve this tension? How is he going to bring this together? Well, enter the Christmas miracle, the virgin birth. And so sometimes we think, oh, the virgin birth is just this miracle. How wonderful. There's a reason why there's a virgin birth. So Mary has Jesus. And so Jesus is God's son, but also Mary's son. And guess what? When you look in Luke chapter two, Mary is of David's family, but she's not of Solomon's lineage. She's of Nathan's lineage. So Jesus, who is the the one who's born to be our king, to sit on David's throne, is both eligible and also not eligible to be the one that sits on David's throne. But here comes Joseph, right? And in Matthew's genealogy, you have Mary's genealogy in Luke, and then you have Joseph's genealogy in Matthew. And Joseph's genealogy goes all the way back to David, but not through Nathan's family, through Solomon's family. And so in this Roman context, when Joseph adopts Jesus into his family, suddenly what you have is this, all the rights of that family, all the inheritance of that family being put on Jesus Christ. And so you have Jesus, who is the one who was born of Mary, of David's family, being adopted into the family of Joseph. And suddenly, listen to this, if you can believe it, Jesus is the only one who has ever been born in history who has the right to sit on David's throne. There's no other king by which man must be saved than the name Jesus Christ. It's a Christmas miracle, amen? It's the Christmas miracle. So when we think about what it means to be a son and daughter of God, I want you to look with me again at this verse. Verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. We can cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and then he culminates this in verse 17. And if we are children, we are heirs also, 
heirs of God, and listen to this, fellow heirs with Christ. Listen, his manger is our manger. His death is our death. His life is our life. And because of that, we can be adopted into God's family, not merely as people sculpted from soil, but we are sons and daughters of the great high king. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we adore you today. And we thank you, Lord, for the great, great gift of the inheritance of glorification that's in store for us. God, I imagine that as we come into this place this morning, there are some of us, Lord, who might be wrestling with with what it means to be your child. And maybe we're feeling like a second or third class child in your family. Lord, I pray that your word would just resound so boldly in our hearts today that we would not feel that way, that we would not let culture or people or things or external circumstances try to dictate the reality of the spirit that testifies within us that we are your sons and daughters. Thank you, Father, for being our dad. So we cry out to you, Abba, Father. And we know that you receive us that way. Thank you. We praise you during this Christmas season for this miracle, that we can be children of the King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. At Tate Springs, we believe God is telling a story of redemption that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you'd like more information on how you can have that kind of a relationship, please visit tatesprings.com and let us know. We love you and want to help you discover your part in God's story.